0: Is another edition of the man cave football podcast what up everybody hey appreciate you tuning in to another episode i'm of course dan casper and i uh, got a treat for this uh for this episode of the man cave football podcast because i got a chance to chat with uh with one of my mentors one of my one of my role models in the sports media world and that's peter king uh, Peter King, uh, Football Morning in America column, uh, the Peter King podcast. He's with NBC Sports, um, but uh, he was on my radio show. So we're, we're putting this in podcast form. So in case you missed it, didn't get to ch- ch- check it out live, well, here you go. Now you can check it out uh, on the Man Cave Football podcast. But uh, uh, just it's great to, to catch up with him and uh, just to be able to talk with uh, with Peter King and uh, and learn from one of the best NFL insiders and, and analysts out there so enjoy this conversation that uh, I had with the great Peter King it is Peter King of football morning in America and host of the Peter King podcast first things first Peter I really really appreciate you taking some time uh, and chatting with us again here in uh, northwestern Wisconsin
1: good to be with you Dan how is it going out there what's what's life like?
0: It's uh, it's crazy, man. I mean, you know, hunkering down, uh, trying to stay safe, trying to stay healthy. I mean, now we just – yesterday, the news of our uh, Division Three college football conference, they're canceling their, their entire season. So everybody around here is uh, kind of down about that with all the D3 athletes, especially like those seniors. They're not able to, to have their senior seasons this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – you're seeing that a good friend of mine – her daughter is a, a senior in college, and she's a field hockey player at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. And uh, this is going to be her big year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she's heartsick about it. And and look, that tales in comparison to 150,000 people dying. Mm-hmm. But it's it's part of it all, and that's. That's why, you know, it's so hard really, Dan, to try to figure out the place that football occupies in all of it, the, mm-hmm. face, the place that pro football occupies in it. And, you know, that's one of the things that I have kind of struggled with, quite honestly, to figure out, you know, there are going to be times in this period... There are going to be times in this period where, you know, we're all going to say, should the NFL be taking up 5,800 tests per day, you know, which if you multiply, I think my math is right, if you multiply 180 people per team, which is 80 players plus 100, essential sort of player-facing employees, in that period where you're going to have everybody being tested daily for a two-week period, basically using 5,800 tests per day mm-hmm. for the NFL. And you wonder, and again, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. I am saying that it really makes you wonder. But I think where I come down on all of it. Last week I had Fred Godelli, who is the executive producer of the Sunday Night Football games. I had him on my podcast, and I asked him how he looks at it and looks at how we essentially are. They're moving heaven and earth to try to play football, and his point. And Andy Reid said almost the same thing to me on Sunday. His point is that America really needs this. So, again, you can look at it in a lot of different ways, but I think the most logical way to look at it is if you want the NFL to happen, then some insane resources need to be used to see to it that it happens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean your article, or your uh, your column from a couple weeks ago, your first one for year three over there at uh, NBC Sports Football Morning in America. You were, you know, just about ninety miles to the west of us, visiting Minnesota and and kind of getting a tour and a behind the scenes look of what they were trying to do to, you know, make everybody, all their players and their staff safe. And then the news yesterday uh, with their head athletic trainer and infection control officer testing positive for COVID-19 and his whole family. I mean, what was your first reaction when you heard that news after, you know, you had just talked to him probably a couple or a few weeks ago?
1: Well, you know, I was sad for him because I know how how hard he worked to prepare not only the Viking facility, but I know how hard he worked to – basically make sure that uh you know because he was one of the big nfl uh organizers of how they were going to keep facilities secure and you know pristine basically so i felt bad but it was what was hard is that i got a, a phone call or a text from somebody in the nfl on uh saturday telling me it tested positive and you know he wanted for now to keep it quiet and you know i immediately thought well gee i mean am i in trouble Mm -hmm. yeah and so anyway i went and got tested anyway but he didn't show any symptoms until six days after i was with him so i doubt uh you know personally that I've got anything to worry about, but be that as it may, I think that it just shows you Eric Sugarman testing positive just shows you. And, and, you know, and last week in my column, I wrote also about Andrew Whitworth Mm -hmm. of the Los Angeles Rams, his nanny, he's got four children. And so his nanny went to lunch the day before they went on a family vacation and the nanny went with them. And by the end of the vacation, with all family members included, of the nine family members, all nine of them uh, tested positive for COVID. So, look, the, the easy thing to say is when you think about it, hey, listen, don't go out to bars, don't go out to restaurants, Hey players, you guys with money for the first time in your lives, many of you, um, just live a relatively monastic existence during this football season and don't risk getting COVID. Well you know, look at Andrew Whitworth. Mm-hmm. He didn't do anything. Right. His nanny went out to lunch at a restaurant in California. An outdoor restaurant, by the way. And all nine people in his family that he went on vacation with all tested positive. So, look, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. This is going to be a very difficult thing for the NFL to pull off.
0: Peter King, NBC Sports, uh, the column "Football Morning in America," the Peter King podcast, and then you know I'm sure you've heard this morning too the, the New England Patriots. They've they've got a few players who are opting out of uh, yeah. uh, this year. Dante Hightower probably being you know the big name that a lot of people would recognize, but I got to imagine this isn't going to be the only, or these aren't going to be the only players opting out of this season too.
1: You know the strange thing is so far five members of the Patriots. So far Mm -hmm. now, you know, players have time, uh, you know, they've got a few days now. So, but five members of one team, including two very solid starters, you know, when Marcus Cannon and Dante Hightower and they're, that's going to be damaging. And that, I hadn't really thought of, the opt-outs as being a huge story because I thought that most players, because careers are short, unlike baseball, and baseball didn't have a lot of opt-outs really either, Mm -hmm. but I thought that there wouldn't be very many. I am, honestly, I'm very surprised to see five players in one team uh, opt-out. And obviously that leads you to think, I mean, the Patriots are not going to be an outlier here. There's probably going to be other teams that are going to be significantly affected by the opt-out.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned Andy Reid a, a little bit earlier, and I was thinking about this uh, like uh, a week or so ago. It, it's been an, obviously a, a different offseason for these teams. Everything's been virtual. No rookie minicamps or OTAs. Now no preseason games. Do you think the teams that have established coaching staffs like, like the Chiefs with Andy Reid um, and even maybe New England with Bill Belichick, they're almost in a, a better position than, say, teams that are bringing in new coaching staffs because of the familiarity factor and just the experience. So do you think teams with those veteran leaders of their, of their coaching staffs are actually in a uh, a better position than most?
1: Dan, I think that uh, the difficult thing for guys like like, for instance, Matt Brule of the Carolina Panthers is establishing basically a brand new program, okay, with a brand new quarterback. And probably with their three most prominent veteran leaders, I would say, uh, Luke Kuechly is gone. Uh, Cam Newton is gone. Greg Olson is gone. And... He's starting from scratch almost everywhere. Now, they got Christian McCaffrey back. Obviously, he's, you know, the best player in that franchise right now. They're going to need him to take on a more prominent role in all ways. But, I mean, this is the only thing I would say for a team like the Carolina Panthers is that Matt Rule went to Temple and he went to Baylor when each of those universities athletically were totally at rock bottom. And so, and after one bad year, he basically turned them around and that's why he's in the NFL right now. But having said that, one of those teams, I think Temple won one game the first year and, and Baylor too. So this is definitely going to be a difficult year for, for him, I think it's going to be difficult for Joe Judge. Um, you know, Joe, think of Joe Judge, who's now the coach of the Giants. Look, Joe Judge has not been a head coach. He's not been a defensive or offensive coordinator. And although he has touched all aspects of the team with the Patriots as the special teams coach, he's still, you know, to me, way behind the eight ball compared to so many of his peers so i think you're right not only does andy Reid have the best quarterback in football and 19 starters back and every coach of substance back I, you know i don't know how you could have more of an advantage than andy Reid has. mm-hmm
0: you know, uh, I, we, our listeners would probably get mad at me if I didn't ask you at least one Packers question, since that's the team okay. that, uh, since that's the team that we pay attention to the most over here. But I, I know you talked to uh, you talked to Goody after the draft, and that was kind of the talk with with Jordan Love and, and that selection, and uh, you kind of got like an inside look at that, but. Taking a look at at this Packers team, and I know there's you know if you read some stuff out there, or listen to a lot of other people, they're they're not quite sure how to make out this team. You know, they didn't add a a, a wide receiver in a draft. They went thirteen and three last year. Some people labeled them as maybe overachieving. Do you have a do you have a good gut feeling on how, how good this Packers team is or what this Packers team can do this year?
1: Well, I mean, I don't. I don't have a great handle on it because I do think that, you know, in the, and I'm not saying these were the only two games, but in the two games that they really were measured at near the end of the year, and they both happened to be at the 49ers, they performed miserably basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you look at that and you say, man, they're a long way away. And I do think there's a major gap between, Uh, say, the 49ers and them. Um, But having said that, they basically won 13 games last year. And if you look at the far and away best player in the franchise, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers had a B to B minus season for him, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I look at him and I look at them and think, okay, a lot of room for improvement. You know, that's number one. And number two, I think one of the other things about them is that, you know, I think you got to give Gudikin a lot of credit last year for what he did in free agency and the Smith, the the two Smiths coming in and basically totally changing their defensive approach and looking. So much better, you know, both at pass rush uh, and, and defense overall. They obviously have spent a lot of time and a lot of energy and draft resources on on the secondary. So, look, they are going to be in games. Um, I, I still, and I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of people in Wisconsin who feel the same way, I'm somewhere between baffled and mind-boggled that they didn't address the far and away position of biggest need at wide receiver. And look, if it could be that all of these low draft picks, free agent types are going to emerge to really help Devontae Adams. And I'll believe it when I see it. We'll see. Mm -hmm. But it obviously helps to have a great quarterback throwing to you, but I think that is going to end up biting him. The fact that They did not address the receiver problem. Uh, And for anybody to say that it's not going to be a problem this year, I think you're living in a dream world. Mm -hmm.
0: Hey, uh, last question really quick for you, for you, Peter. Last week I had Kalen Kaler on uh, my podcast, and we were kind of talking about, you know, with everything going on in, in the world and Kalen being one of your former coworkers over there at Monday Morning uh, Quarterback, and we were kind of talking about, you know, the difference of, of covering sports right now with all these Zoom calls and, you know, everybody's kind of doing everything virtually, and I know it's it's affecting you. You mentioned it in your latest column because right now you'd be doing like a, a training camp tour, could you see, you know, with, with everything that's been going on, maybe in, in the next few years, how sports is covered differently for some people? Maybe they're not going to, to games as much and, and they're really utilizing, you know, Zoom and virtual stuff. Could you see this having a, a lasting impact on how sports are covered by some journalists?
1: You know, Dan, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I sat uh, at home yesterday afternoon trying to figure out the places I really wanted to go training camp this year, and I may only go to three camps, and and it makes me sad personally because really it's kind of my favorite time of the year, but, um, it, it, you know, I understand it. I'm not upset at all about it. It's just it's the way life is. I would think that it would be a dangerous thing if, for instance, we quite literally, I, I think probably this year, I will not do an in-person interview with a, a player. And where you, where you lose stuff in that, I can tell you, is, I'll give you a good example. Last year, um, after the Super Bowl, I've known Andy Reid for a long time. I've known him, in fact, uh, since he was a tight ends coach with the Packers in the 90s. And I walked into Andy Reid's office after the Super Bowl, and he was just sort of basking in the joy of just winning the Super Bowl. He was going to give me 10 or 15 minutes. And I split a sheet of paper out, and I said, will you do me a favor? Will you draw this play? Draw the big play in the game, you know, the... Mm -hmm. Uh, the long pass from uh, Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill uh, that basically, you know, 3rd and 15, whatever it was, that that salvaged the game, that got him back in the game. And he sat there and he drew it and he explained it, you know, perfectly. And so would that ever happen in a year like this? Doubtful. And then would it ever happen that, I could then go out into the locker room, wait for the crowd to go away, and get a few minutes with Mahomes and ask him the very, you know, intricate, uh, you know, parts of this play and how exactly it happened. I wouldn't be able to do that either. I'd, I'd get him on a Zoom call with forty other reporters, maybe four hundred other reporters. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the only thing I'm saying, Dan, is that. The day after the Super Bowl, you could wake up and if you were so inclined, look at my column and you would have learned everything you need to know about the play that made all the difference in the Super Bowl. And I'm just saying that's not, that's not a vaccine. That's not big. That's not hugely important in the grand scheme of our country. But in what I do, and in what I provide for the readers of the most popular sport of the NFL, at least in my opinion, I think if you don't, if, if, if me, if, if, if I, who, you know, I've done this job for so long, and if I don't think that's really, really important, I shouldn't be doing my job. And I'm just saying that, yeah, a lot of that stuff is going to be lost this year. That's just a casualty of what's going on. And it means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. But I just know that I'll miss it. And I think the people who read me and who read a lot of people uh, who do my job, I think they're going to miss some of the really interesting details that during the course of the year you normally hit on
0: i agree i agree he's peter king nbc sports catch his column every monday morning football morning in america and check out the peter king podcast uh, peter i appreciate the time uh catching up with you again you know we, i was talking with Kalen uh, about a week and a half ago and we were kind of sharing you know stories she mentioned you were uh her mentor and i talked to her about the time i met you over there in green bay and i'm like you know what it's been a while i wonder if peter will join us again so i really really appreciate uh catching up with you again sir
1: Dan, all of that. Call
0: anytime. That's going to do it for this edition of the Man Cave Football Podcast. Appreciate you all tuning in. A reminder make sure you are subscribing to the podcast. Uh, And we're available on every platform iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, you name it. Subscribe so you never, ever miss another episode of the Man Cave Football Podcast. And don't forget to rate us too. That way, you know, other football fans can find the podcast too. But I'm Dan Casper. And thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Man Cave Football Podcast.